to be back with you. But I'm also not going to lie, it was good to be away for a little bit too. Uh, Jeff, what were you doing for the last couple of weeks? Well, important stuff. That's the way I would answer it. Digging in the sand, playing in the pool, even catching a few fish along the way. Important stuff. And the reason I say it's important stuff is because of the people that I got to do it with. This is what I've been doing the last couple of weeks. I've just been being a dad and being a papa. That's what I've been doing. And I consider that important stuff. The older my children get makes having some uninterrupted days of our family getting to be together even more special. And the older they get, it seems like I realize how hard that is to happen for everybody to be in the same place at one time. I want to challenge you to fight for some of those days. Fight for some of those days. Maybe uh, it has to be a day here, a day there, but don't let this summer pass by without being intentional about some of those days because now is the time that you have. Make the most of it. It is a precious responsibility that I carry as a dad. I want the best for my kids. I do. I want the absolute best for them, which is not the stuff of this world. It's actually the stuff of the next. And that is exactly the heart behind this talk series that I'm stepping into today. It is the heart of a father to his child. Now I say I'm stepping into it because Troy and Gabe and Matt did a great job of launching this thing over the last couple of weeks. They really did. And I just want to pause for a minute and thank those guys, all the work that they put in the last couple of weeks so that I uh, could do what I've been doing, and that includes them prepping God's word and delivering it to you. Um, I am grateful for those guys and for what they did the last couple of weeks. In the opening of this letter that we're studying to 1 Timothy, Paul refers to Timothy as my true son in the faith. Hmm. Sounds like an older father, Paul, who writes to a younger son, Timothy, my true son in the faith. Now, they are not father and son by blood, but they are father and son by something stronger than that. They are father and son by faith. And Paul so wants the best for Timothy. And he so wants the best for the church in Ephesus that Timothy pastors. And so when we study this letter of 1 Timothy, I want you to read it with that heart. There are going to be some tough stuff to understand, but, but I want you to read it with that heart. The heart of a father who wants the best for his kids. In the third chapter... Paul makes it clear. He says, I'm writing to you 
so that you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God. And so we've taken that, and it's, it's the reason that, that we're calling this series Blueprint. We call it Blueprint because it's, it's like Paul is giving a blueprint for God's house. But in this case, the house is not a structure like this. The house is the church. It is the people. It's God's kids. That's why God gave us this letter. Oh, how the Father wants the best for his people. That's you. Read this letter with that heart. He wants the best right so let's jump in the last couple of weeks the language i've used is everybody in the pool so here we go first timothy chapter 1 verse 12 this is where we're picking it up he says i thank christ jesus our lord who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy we'll come back to that phrase appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. Now let's pause right there for a second. A blasphemer, what does that mean? It means he told lies about God. It's not good to tell lies about anybody, but telling lies about God, that's not really the wisest move, right? A persecutor, what's Paul talking about? Well, he harmed God's children. Think about that from a dad's perspective. He harmed God's kids. And then he refers to himself as a violent man. He is outrageously offensive in opposition to Jesus. What Jesus stands for, Paul says, I was in opposition to. I, though, was shown Because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. Lord give me. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly. Along with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. So Paul makes this remarkable confession. I'm going to call it, come on, I'm a a blasphemer. Right? I have hurt God's people. I have stood in opposition to everything that Jesus stands for. I mean, that's, that's a pretty serious confession for somebody to say, this is who I am. In other words, this is where I think Paul starts. He says, I recognize how great a sinner I am. Timothy, I recognize how great of a sinner I am. Now, that's interesting, writing to the church. He's not saying everybody recognize how great of sinners we are. Everybody recognize how great of sinners they are. No. He says, I recognize how great a sinner I am. But tucked away in that language is a most remarkable statement. Verse 12. But he says, he, God, considered me trustworthy. Wait, 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 wait. A blasphemer lied about God, right? Harmed 
God's people persecuted them? A violent man stands in opposition to everything, and, and yet here's his statement. He, God, considered me trustworthy. Another way for, to, to translate it is he, God, judged me faithful. How can that be? Paul, how can that be after you're admitting what you're admitting to be wrong to? How can God judge you as faithful? And what follows in the next two verses are the answer to that. In verse 13, he says it this way. I was shown what? And then in verse 14, the what? The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly. There's only one explanation. How such a sinner could be declared trustworthy. There's only one way that, that God could judge him faithful. And the word is grace. Paul is forgiven. And it wasn't because he deserved it. And it wasn't because he earned it. I, I want you to look at this word right here. He considered me trustworthy. As I said, it could be translated, he judged me as faithful. That word in the Greek is, is a tense, it's a verb, it's called an aorist middle indicative. All right? Are you impressed? You feel better? An aorist middle indicative. All right? Now, I'm going to sum up, here's what that basically means. It means... Go back to it. It means God did it. It means Paul was not, but God did it. Was Paul trustworthy? Nope. Was he faithful? Nope. But God did it. God declared. God judged him as faithful. It just simply means this is, this is because of God, not because of Paul. Now, come on, we just got beat because we just weren't preaching, right? No, I would declare to you, you actually get beat when you begin to live as though you believe you preach, which in this case is a declaration of God's amazing grace. That's when you get trustworthy. For so many of us, I think we have this insecurity at times we, we lack this confidence, and some of that really anchors to this lack of confidence of where we feel like we stand with God. We really are insecure in regards to, to where we stand with him, and why is that? It's because we know what Paul knows, how great a sinner I am. I know what I'm capable of, and therefore, I'm convinced that my past failures determine my present faithfulness. I can't be declared faithful because I know the failures of my past. God cannot have judged me as trustworthy because I know, I, I'm, I, I think that my past failures determine my present faithfulness. I hear the language, but I'm still living as though it's about what I do. And I know I can't fix how great a sinner I am. But grace, grace turns all that around. God.
God's mercy and his grace turns all of that around. And I want you to notice that God's grace not only forgave Paul, but God's grace also strengthened Paul to faithfully serve the God that he once opposed. Now I'm going to say that again because some of you didn't hear me. The grace of God not only forgave Paul's sin, but the grace of God also strengthened him to faithfully serve the God that he once sinned against. In other words, there are some of you who are still hesitant to serve God because you think your past failures determines your present faithfulness. And you think that there's no way that God can use you because of a past, because of failures, because of mistakes that have been. And I'm telling you, God's word tells a different story. Because of the mercy of God that he once opposed. Are we all right? Pretty cool, pretty good news. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's worth memorizing. You want to memorize a verse? That, that's worth memorizing. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. But here's where Paul goes. Of whom I am the worst. I'm the worst. Let's keep going. But for that very reason, I was shown, there's that word again, mercy. So that in me, oh, but just in case you thought he really didn't mean that he was the worst of sinners, let's say it again. Let's repeat it so that you know, I, I really do know what I'm saying. The worst of sinners. Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Paul says, I recognize how great a sinner I am. But along with that, I recognize how much greater a Savior recognize how great a sinner I am, but with that, I recognize how much greater a Savior Jesus is. Tim Keller said it this way. He said, we are more sinful and flawed than we ever dared believe, yet we are more loved and accepted in Jesus than we ever dared hope. I like that. More sinful than we thought, but more loved than we hoped. That is the good news. And, and there is this interesting progression that, that takes place in Paul's life. And, and it's really easy to miss when we just kind of read it in bits and pieces. But, but if we put some of what those books in a chronological order, I'm going to show you here in just a second. I think it gets really clear. Here's what I'm talking about. Let's start in 1 Corinthians, which is one of the first books that Paul writes. All right? So Jesus saves him. 
he, he rescues him, he's following, he's starting churches, he's writing books. 1 Corinthians is one of the first that is written. And here's what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, for I am the least of the apostles. the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. You ready for this? But by the what? He says, I am an apostle. God's called me to be an apostle, but I'm the least of the apostles. That's first want you to skip to Ephesians. Ephesians is written to the church at Ephesus, which is actually the church that Timothy, as we're in 1 Timothy, Timothy pastors the church in Ephesus. I want you to hear what Paul says to the church at Ephesus, Ephesus chapter 3. Here's what he says, although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people. Now that's different than what he said last time. Last time he said, I am the least of the what? The apostles. Now he's saying, I am the least of just any of God's kids. I am the least of of any of the saints. I I am the least of God's people. But guess what he follows it with? This grace, though, was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. And then we get to this week, 1 Timothy chapter 1. And in verse 15, here's what we just heard Paul say. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I'll become perfect. Now, you you got the progression. I'm the least of the apostles. The older Paul gets, now it becomes, I am just the least of God's saints, of God's kids. And then by, by toward the end of his life, his statement is, I, I am the worst of sinners. That's quite a progression. What is happening here? I'll tell you what's happening here. Years of walking with Jesus results in a greater recognition of how great a sinner I am. The longer I walk with Jesus, the more I realize, and that's what I think you're hearing him, it goes deeper and deeper. It doesn't get less and less. The more I walk with Jesus, the more I recognize how great of a sinner that I am, but also the years of walking with Jesus results in a greater recognition of how much greater a Savior he is. It grows greater. Interesting, I think sometimes we kind of overlook this. Before we knew him as Paul, he was who? Saul. That's right, just a letter difference, all right? You know what Saul means? Saul means asked for. Now, you can always remember that because when you think back in the Old Testament, God's people asked for a king. Who was the first king? Saul. So that's that's the way I, I remember it, all right? Saul means asked 
for, requested, right? Sought after. In other words, in that name, there is this, this picture of someone who is bold, someone who is confident, someone who is sought after. I want you to contrast that with after Paul meets Jesus, his name moves from Saul to Paul. You know what Paul means? Paul means humility. We could use the word humble. Interesting contrast. And if you put those two together, you come up with a combination of words that I would say looks like this. Confidence, humility. Confidence, humility. Now when you first see those two, it almost sounds like a contradiction. Is it confidence or is it humility? It it, it looks like a paradox, right? But I'm telling you that Paul's life embodies this this counterintuitive combination, confident humility. Let's frame it this way. There are some of you in the room who tend to be, people would describe, you are more sure of yourself. You tend to see the world through the lens of how you can affect it. You tend to see the world through the lens of how you can influence it. You would be categorized maybe more on the confident side of things. But do you know what happens when there is confidence without humility? It very quickly ends up looking and smelling the same. of us in the room who maybe would be categorized more of, uh, we would say we're less sure of ourselves. Uh, maybe when conflict arises or the difficulty comes, we're, we're, we're not the first to, to raise our voice. We're, we're not the first to, to you know, infuse any power in that. It, it's almost to downplay the, the innate strength that we possess. And we would say, okay, there's an aspect of humility with that. But do you understand what happens when there is humility without a confidence? It it actually, in reality, it just ends up being confidence without humility often looks like arrogance. And humility without confidence often looks like insecurity. But in Paul's life, we end up seeing this incredible marriage of these two words, a confident humility. How does he have that? Well, just like Paul, we find our confidence in the forgiving grace of God that forgives sinners like me. That's where we find our confidence. It's the grace of God that in this this one moment, this act on his behalf, that he has forgiven all of my sin, past, present, future. Not because of what Jeff did, not because of what Jeff earned, but because of God's grace, a declaration judged faithful. That
that's where the security comes from. That's where the confidence comes from. But at the same time, there is humility. Why is there humility? Because today, I still need God's amazing grace because the same sins that once owned me still have the potential to trip me up and make me stumble. And if God's grace is not active in my life today, I will again end up on my face, right? It is this grace that is final and it is this grace that is continual. But it is grace on both ends that leads Paul to walk with this confident humility. A way of thinking about this, confident humility is being your full self without being full of yourself. Being your full self without being full of yourself. I want to maybe kind of give you a visual of how I think this looks in Paul's life, how it looked in Timothy's life, and how it can look in our life. Let's do a little drawing. We're going to let this line represent our life, our lifeline, right? And there comes a point where along this lifeline, Jesus invades. He invades, he interrupts, he encounters, and suddenly you become aware of who God is. What begins to happen is that as you walk this out, you are going to grow in your awareness of God's holiness. Now, I could have used the word God's greatness because I'm talking about you're growing in your awareness of how God is completely other. He, he loves like no other. You, you are aware and growing in, his, in an understanding his justice and understanding his mercy. You are growing in your awareness of God's holiness, his greatness. But when you do that, Something else is happening at the same time. When I'm growing in my awareness of God's holiness, I am at the same time also growing in my awareness of my sinfulness. The more I see who God is, the more I see telling you, you see this all over scripture. Go back and read Job. Read one, really quick. And when you read Job, you find a place in that book, a, a series of chapters where he is being confronted with the, the grandeur and the glory of God. And at the end of all of that, all Job can muster up is a response of, behold, I am vile. That's where he lands. He sees God's holiness and his greatness, and his declaration is, behold, I am vile. Isaiah, incredible prophet of God, 
You, you remember the place in Isaiah where he gets to see God, the, the throne room in, in, in heaven, and there's the angels who are flying around the throne declaring holy, holy, holy. And what is Isaiah's response when he has this awareness of God's holiness and his greatness? Isaiah cries out, woe is me, I am undone. And today we get to Paul, who after a lifetime of walking with Jesus, declares, I am the worst of sinners. My question is, why would Job who actually is a man that God would declare righteous. And why would Isaiah, who is called by God to be a prophet of God, and why would Paul, who is appointed by God to be an apostle, why would they all think of themselves as vile, undone, and the worst of sinners? And the answer is because they have encountered the beauty and the glory and the power of a holy, holy, holy God. And the result is they know full well that left to themselves, they cannot stand. When they see God, they see themselves. of the greatness of my God with that comes an awareness of how great a sinner I am the gap between us grows wider the more I understand it but what happens as a result is that because I have placed my faith in Jesus a day in which I repented I turned from my sin in faith to him he enters my life a declaration of grace where once and for all sin forgiven and yet an ongoing outpouring of his grace that helps me to keep on fighting and keep on walking with him. When I see that together, the cross is magnified in my life more and more and more. Do you see what the Father It's supposed to be a book about here's what the church is supposed to look like. And you know what? We're going to get there. E eventually, Paul's going to talk to us about what, what, how leadership should be structured. He's going to talk to us about how men and women minister together. He's going to talk to us about healthy, benevolence practices. He's going to talk to us about that. But what have we seen so far? if you were here for week one, you know that the first chapter opens with this understanding that everybody's got a story, but it is only God who transforms stories. That's where we start. 
And last week, week two, Matt, Matt told you he, the, the scripture unfolds. The goal of the church is to advance the gospel, but it's got to be motivated by love. That's it. That's what we're about. We are advancing the gospel, but it, but it is motivated by love. And now here we are in week three. And what is Paul talking to us about? He's talking to us about a heart, a a, a heart that understands how great a sinner I am and how much greater a Savior Jesus is. In other words, can you back up enough to see that before Paul's going to tell us what to do, he's going to start with who to be. Before he says, this is what you need to do, which by the way, it's not until chapter 2 that Paul says, the first thing. The first thing, no, he spends all of chapter one saying, this is who you need to be. He starts with Timothy's heart because he cares most about Timothy's heart because he knows that the right blueprint without the right heart does not count. But when you got the right heart, what's the result? Well, the result, Verse 17, which I think a lot of times if you just pick up 1 Timothy and read it, you're like, what is verse 17? Where does that even fit? Oh, it fits. You know what verse 17 says? Check this out. Now, now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Anybody see Paul saying that, writing that, sitting down? Man, I see him on his feet. I see him struggling to, to, to put the pen to paper and not knowing what to do with his hands. And, and, and uh, Come on, now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. What happens in Paul? Praise. Praise happens in him. And what a statement of praise. The king eternal. It literally means the king of the ages. Well, what ages are we talking about? Well, the Jews believed in an ages past and an age to come. This is the king of them all. He is the sovereign king above all. He is immortal. That means he is imperishable. He's incorruptible. No death, no decay, no loss of strength ever. He is invisible. That means he's only known when he makes himself known. You don't see him, you don't hear him, except the fact that he chooses to reveal who he is. He is the only God. To him be honor and glory forever and ever. So let it be. Grace does to us what it did to Paul. It made him worship. It made him worship. It's what we were built for. It's what we were made for. We were made to make much of God, not to make much of ourselves. And so Paul's, his mind's attention and his heart's affection is not fixated on himself, but it leads him to God's praise. When he realizes how great of a sinner he is, And he realizes how much great of a savior Jesus is. The only result of grace can be praise. 
I'm a sinner, but I'm not as bad of a sinner as them. And I, I'm a sinner, but I'm not as bad of a sinner as her. See, when you start fixing your eyes on Jesus, all that comparison junk goes out the door. And the reason Paul understands he's the worst of sinners is because his comparison is wrong. see is the benefit of this grace, then if we're not careful, we will miss the whole point. Think of it this way. You know, you, you know those moments that you've just been in a room, a barn, some, some room, and suddenly you realize there is a beam of light slicing through the room. You know what I'm talking about? It comes through a window. You ever been in that spot? You've been in that barn. You've been in that room. You know, maybe it's a room in the house where the rest of the lights are off or whatever. And all of a sudden, you just realize there's this beam of light that is just slicing through the room. And, and you can actually see the dust particles in the beam of light. You know what I'm talking about? And, and, and you see all those little dust particles floating around and that beam of light is the most dynamic thing in the room. But if you move your body, position your body to where that beam of light actually strikes you in the face, suddenly you really can't even see the beam. What you see suddenly is a window through which that beam is slicing. You maybe see a, a few leaves on a tree that are moving, but if you look past those leaves, and I'm talking like you got to look like about 93 million miles past it, it's the sun. Just as that beam of light ultimately leads us to the sun, so the purpose of grace leads us to God. The purpose of grace leads us to God. God is the good news of the gospel. 
Now, there's good news in that my sin could be forgiven. There is good news in that my guilt wiped away. That's good. That's good. I'm celebrating that today. I'll be celebrating it tomorrow. I'm going to be celebrating that for all of eternity. I get huge benefits out of this deal because of a faith that I placed in Jesus and a grace that he has poured out upon me. But don't be mistaken. God is the good news of the gospel. And if our doctrinal precision and our theological reflection doesn't lead us to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God who deserves honor and glory forever and ever, then we have missed the mark. That is what God wants for us. That is what God wants for his kids. He wants you to have him and his grace and clarity for your sin. What is keeping you from placing your faith in Jesus? did know what you've done, here's my declaration, it's worse than that. It's worse than that. Because all the stuff that you think about you've done, I'm saying the more you grow in this, you're going to realize how much worse it really is. You're, you're going to realize how much greater of, of, a, of a sinner that you really are. It's actually worse than that. But thank goodness, that's not the foundation. That is not the qualifying factor. The, the qualifying factor is, oh my goodness, how much greater of a Savior Jesus is. And that if the Apostle Paul, who lied about God, who harmed God's kids, who was violently opposed to all that Jesus did, he says, look, his grace was poured out upon me so that you could trace back over this time and time again and recognize grace says you are not too far from God. Come home. A father wants the best. Thank you for Paul. Thank you for Timothy. Thank you for that relationship that you constructed. You, you designed that it would be written down that we could read today. God, the hope, the reality of what can be because you are God. Love us to such a degree. God, I'm asking that the truth of your word, God, would sink deep today. God, there may be some of us today that we have never put our trust in you, and I'm asking you to help us to see it is not you.
you are the whole letter. God, today, if it is our past, if it is our list of mistakes, God, may today we be willing to lay those down and to trust that your grace is enough. God, I pray for your kids today, struggling, God, with that confident humility. God, some of us, we, we, we need some balance there between those two, and that balance is only brought by your grace. God, would you give us a vision of your grace? One that is final. God, all sin forgiven, past, present, future, but one that is continual. God, a picture of, of, of one that is poured out for us today. God, give us eyes that can see and ears that can hear. But that's only because you, the invisible God, have chosen to show us who you are. And now, nothing else but grace. The king eternal. The king praise him together. There are going to be some people over here on the side that if you need some prayer today, we would be honored to do that. Maybe you got a question about what it means to trust in Jesus. Maybe you got something going on in your life today and you're saying, I need that grace. Hey, we would be honored to visit with you, honored to pray with you. I thank you for listening today. Let's praise him together with all of our hearts. This King, this King who deserves all the mountain I could not climb in desperation 